Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to be in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. So we're looking at these I am statements that are made by Jesus. All right? And so the one we're looking at right now is where he says that he is the vine. So this is what we have in John chapter 15. So last week we looked at all the parts of that, how each part was integral. We looked at the part of the vine itself, which was Christ, the vine dresser, which is God, us as the branches. And then we looked at the fruit, which is really the results of our lives, all right? And see how God blesses that. Today we're going to look at something which is it's a, it's intertwined in this message in the second part of it, which is the process. Now look, the process is a big deal right now, okay? If you, if you don't know culturally what's going on, like especially in sports-wise. So like Alabama, Nick Saban has the process, right? Everybody has to work through the process. Kirby Smart over at Georgia. It's all a process that we're working through with this. If you look in the NBA, there's a couple of teams, especially I think the 76ers are real big in this. This word is like a big buzzword when it comes to sports right now. What that means is, is that when you go through and start something, everything is not instantaneous, is it not? Everything doesn't come to us instantaneously. So when we work through this, when we work through our lives, when we're attached to the vine, when we're a part of what God is working and doing, it's a process. It's a process in our lives where we are cleansing ourselves of things and where things are being revealed and new steps are being taken. We're stepping out of our comfort zones. We're moving into new areas of our lives. We're growing in certain areas of our lives. Our lives are transitioning from one point in one place to another point to another place, whether that be through a timeline, whether you didn't have children, now you have children, now you're um, empty nesters or, or whatever, or you've got grandchildren or great-grandchildren. There's just different points in time in, in the timeline that is us, which is the process of how we grow and what God is doing in our lives. All of this has to be done in respect to the vine. So when we look at this today and Jesus says that he is the vine, we want to see how this process moves. We want to see all the things that the vine dresser is doing as well. And so I want to share that with you before we go and get started in all this because we're all at different places and different points. And so for each one of us as well, we know different people. And when we go through the, these parts of the process or where, or where people are in the placement of this, you're going to be able to think... think People or names are going to come to your mind. And so that, those are prayer requests. Those could be things, points of process, uh, po- points where we need to move, speak to others, share with others what God is trying to say to us. So just think about that as we go through this morning, as we share this message. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So Jesus states out that he is the vine. And once again, he comes back to us. The other part of that we looked at last week was that God is the vine dresser. The first thing I want you to see is that he grafted us in. We were not part of this. We were separated out. Why were we separated out from the vine? Every single one of us is separated out because of our sin. It's the sin that comes through Adam. If you want to, you can come on Wednesday nights. We're studying this right now in in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7. We'll be going through each, each of this. But what, what happens is, is that there's something, there's a, our relationship is broken from God, our Creator, because of sin. So when you and I aren't birthed into the vine, 
Now, I want you to think about that for a second because some of you are deep-seated Baptists. Deep-seated Baptists tend to think that they are, God by, they are God's children by birth. And you may have actually even been taught that. Your church may have taught you that. Because I want you to think about this for a second. I'm, I'm where some of you sat at a different place at a different church. Fourth generation at Mars Hill Baptist Church in Watkinsville. So family member after family member after family member. That does not mean that just because you were born into a church and you started going to that church and they put you in nursery when you were a baby and now you're an adult or now you're having children and all that generationally is going on, that you are a Christian by birth or by birthright. That, that is not what this says. This says that every single one of us, Scripture says, that every single one of us is separated from God that we have to be grafted in. Paul goes through this and gives this to us in Romans chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. He says this, But if some of the branches were broken off, we're going to learn about that in just a few minutes. And you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partakers with them in the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. So God grafts us in. Have any of you ever done that before? Have any of you ever tried to graft something onto another? Did it work? Not for you. It's a difficult thing to do. If you're going to graft something in, you have to prepare the vine, all right? And then you have to put it in, you have to attach it, you have to wrap it up. It's a whole long process, is it not? It's just not like you can stick there with super glue and, and stick it on there for a few minutes and it just takes, right? It doesn't happen. Life has to happen. It has to grow into the vine. There has to be something that's different. So you guys and I have to understand when we accept Christ, we give ourselves the opportunity to be grafted into the body. And then God does that through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You and I are placed into that. But that's a God thing that happens. It's not a natural thing for us to be able just to stick something on something else and have it instantly take. And so God, the, the vine dress, dresser, grafts us into the body of Christ. Then it says this in verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, he mentioned this up here before. He said some of the branches were broken off. And then, but what I want to talk to you about today in verse 2 when it says this is the purge. Some of the branches are broken off. Some of the branches are taken off. So just in that day, when someone was born a Jew or an Israelite, they were a descendant of Abraham. They thought of themselves as a holy person. Just like I told you that there's a lot of people today who were born into a Baptist church multiple generations down the line who think of themselves as a Christian because they were born into that church and were raised in that kind of environment. A Jew felt the same thing. Now he says this, that some of those branches were broken off. Some people just never picked up their faith. They just lived as a Jew thinking that they were going to be a godly person and go to heaven because they're a Jew. And they were, they're just broken off. There never was any life in that. Some are purged or cut off, though. 
It says that if the branch does not produce fruit, that God will take that branch away. Some of them are cut off. And there's multiple examples of this given throughout Scripture. There's one where Jesus comes up and sees this tree. The tree is not producing any fruit at all. He says, if this does not produce fruit by next year, I want you to what? Cut it down, throw it in the fire, get rid of it. So, guys, we have to understand that we cannot sit here and call on our lives and think just because we were born in the United States, born in the South, born into a Baptist church, that God's going to open the gates of heaven for us and allow us to come into his kingdom eternally because of that. That doesn't get it. If there is no life, then those branches will be removed. This is a purging of that. Why does this take place? It takes place because there needs to be room for those who are wanting and desire life. Taking up space. I want you to think about this. God wants life to happen in our lives and through our lives. And so if we're not going to allow that to happen, he's going to do what God is going to do. God has a plan, does he not? He says scripturally that you and I are a part of that. And that we're going to have life and we're going to have life abundantly. He says that he wants to prosper us. He says that he wants to give us that. He wants to multiply through us. But the reality is, is just like we talked last week, we can shut off that valve if we want to. And we can say, I want to have none of that. And so when there is no life like that, the branches are removed, the purge. This is what it says in Romans chapter 11, continuing on in that same passage in verse 18, and then verse 19 and 20. He says, Do not be arrogant towards the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. And they will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. Understand this. If a branch was removed and you and I were grafted in in its place, that's not for us to sit here and beat our chest about. We're not supposed to look out at the world and say, that's a bunch of lost fools. They're all going to die and go to hell. Scripture doesn't tell us to do that, but yet that's what we do all the time, right? The church looks at the world and says, those are a bunch of heathens. They're going to get what they deserve one day. Scripturally, that's not validated for us as believers to go out and to make that determination or judgment. Scripture says that we will be judged in the same measure by which we judge others. So the measure by which we judge others is coming back to us as the church, I think, in today's age. The world does not like the church because the church does not like the what? World. Or the the world does not love the church because the church does not what? Love those who are in the world. We don't love the lost. We think that branch deserves to be broken off so that someone can come in and have life. When the reality is we need to look and say, hey, that branch is dead. It is separated from God. What can we do to re-engage that relationship? Think about this culturally right now. In the United States of America, for the most part, How do you think that people today view the nation of Israel? View the the Jewish nation? 
I would say that the tide is turning. They were once a strong ally of the United States, and after what took place in World War II, we banded together, and for generations now, we have spent that. But I believe that the tide is turning. And that in the United States, they they are not looked upon in the same way, with the same love anymore. And what are we doing? We're turning our backs, or we are turning away from the chosen people of God. That is a representation of what's taking place to all of God's people. So as the world turns away from the people of God, so does the world turn away from God's people. So you and I live in a day and an age where tribulations and persecution is becoming more obvious and happening at a greater amount. More people come to Christ today than any other time in the history of all of creation. And you may say that's by sheer numbers because there's just that many more people that are in the world. But I will tell you what's also increasing is the persecution of those who are followers of Christ. So as people are coming to Christ, the level of persecution is increasing as well. And that's happening because of the things that we're talking about here. When there's no life on the branch, it is removed. That doesn't mean that the, that the broken branch is going to love the vine. But that means that the people that are attached to the vine still love the branch that is, is broken off right now. We need to establish and, and rejoin or complete that relationship. The second part of this. So as, as things are cultivated, as things are gone through, realize that we're grafted in, that those that are not bearing fruit, those are purged. The next thing we need to see is that there's a pruning process. It says this, that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So this pruning process, okay. Anybody here ever, you know, Chateau Lons right down the road, you ever gone down there? I know that you never tasted the wine because you're a good Baptist, right? You would never do anything like that and go to any of those kind of places. But have you ever driven by and just seen all the rows and rows of vines that are out there? Those vines cannot be left to themselves. Those vines are dressed. They're tended to. So just as much as things that are dead are cut off, the things that are alive are pruned. Do you realize and know, and I just know this through study, all right? is that if you leave that vine alone, the, the productiveness of it will decline year over year over year if you don't do the things that you need to do to keep that up. And part of that keeping up is going in and cutting off the ends. Meaning this, so when fruit comes out, you go back in and you cut off back behind that. How many of you do that to any of the plants that are around your home? You do what? You go back through and you cut those off. Why do you do that? You cut them off so that the next year that they will produce. What happens when they produce the next year? They produce multiples out of that, do they not? They do. They take and they produce multiples out of that. So we multiply out after we have been pruned. So if we're left to ourselves for us to think that we are never going to go through persecution, hardship, anything like that, then we are fooling ourselves 
Those are all part of the pruning back process, the disciplining process for us so that we might be able to go out and to bear more fruit. So if, if it comes real easy to people and it seems like everything's going fine for them and they never have any hardship, never have any difficulties, that eventually is going to become unfruitful. It's going to become unfruitful because we need these things that we go through to cut us back. To cut us back so that we might be more fruitful. God prunes us in our lives so that you and I might bear more fruit. He says that we need to have life. And what kind of life is that? That's abundant life. When he talks about all the different things, the talents and different things like that that he talks about... The one with five ended up with how many talents? He ended up with 11 talents. Do you get that? He took the five that he was given. He doubled them. Then he got the one from the one who wasn't, that didn't do anything with it. It's not like that God just sat there and said, okay, this guy goes from five to six, from six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine. What happened? It doubled. And then it more than doubled. So we have to realize that this is God's intent for our life. God's intent for our life is not for us to stay the status quo. <clears throat> we got to get, get real and un, understand this in the church. When people leave or we have loss, when we go through difficulties, when there's splits, when there's division, when there's all these things, we look at that and we say, this was our downfall. When in truth, we should look at this as the opportunity for us to be, we've been pruned back. We've gone down in size. We've gone down in number. We've gone down in ministries. We've gone down in this or that or the other. That's a part of us to, be, to realize that it's, it's time for new growth. It's a time for new opportunity. It's a time to see God do new things through new people and through new situations and circumstances. Most churches rely upon how they've done things over and over and over and over again. What we are finding now is that that is not only ineffective, it is ineffective at a faster pace. The things that worked even five years ago don't work now. So we have to understand that we have to adapt. We have to learn. We have to take those things. In other words, sometimes there's ministries that have been effective and we have to prune them back and say, we're not going to do this anymore because it's, it's not effective in the way that it works today. It was effective in the way that it worked five years ago. And so it looks like we're doing something crazy. But in truth, we're sitting back and giving new opportunities for new growth in a new way. And that is scary. That is scary for us when we've done something for some way for so long. Look, I, I want you to, to understand this. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't talk a whole lot about this kind of stuff, and I'm not um, politically inclined. But that's, that's taking place in our denomination. That's taking place in our state leadership. Our state leadership has undergone this January a new president of the Georgia Baptist Convention. The other president of Georgia Baptist Convention, Dr. White's been here for how long? Do you remember 20-something 20, 20 years? 
27, 28 years it was under the same leadership. And it's a new day up there. New things are happening. And some of the things that we've done in the past, that, we, that we've done year after year after year, he's come in and said, you know what? The effectiveness is in decline with this. We need to evaluate this. We need to look at this. We need to go in a different direction. And we look at that and say, oh my gosh, what are we doing? But this is exactly how God works. This is exactly how God moves in our lives. All right, say you've been in a funk in your life spiritually. Okay, let me give you this one. This one's probably better for you. Say you used to lose weight this way. And now you're trying to lose weight again. But it just ain't working this time. It's worked every other time, but it's not working this time. Do you sit there and you say, well, I'm not going to try anything else? No. You're going to lose some weight, right? So you go, I'm ready to try whatever I need to try. Whatever we need to do to make this happen, I'm going to make this happen. And we go out there and we're willing to step out. Now think about that spiritually. I used to do this. I used to read my Bible or I used to go to church or I used to do this. And every time that I'd get myself into a funk spiritually, I would do this or that or the other to get it out. Think about God moving in a new way in your life. Thinking about God doing a new thing in your life and how he's going to do that. Sometimes we have to cut that stuff off so that we can see the new growth that we need to see that's going to come not just additionally, it's going to come multiplicatively, it's going to come exponentially. Because this is the way that God moves. God prunes. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, I want you to think about that word for a second. I want you to think about yield. What does yield mean? Yield means a lot of different things. Yield means stop. All right? So yield means us to stop what we're doing and allow God to move. Yield also means what? When we stop or come to that, we're what? Allowing something else to go in front of us. I'm a type A, bull in a china shop. If I think I have the answer, I'm going to go do what I think is right. So many times in my life, God had says, Yield, Tim. Submit yourself to me. Stop what you are doing and allow me to do it. God never does that fast enough for me. Has he ever done it fast enough for you? Because I want it right then. Discipline while we're in it is not joyful, it is sorrowful. But we're to go through that disciplining process with a joyful spirit in our heart. So even though we're in anguish about the things that we're in in the midst of at that moment in that time, we're to yield, we're to submit to God. What does yield mean in crop-wise? When you're talking about crops, what are you talking about? You're talking about the abundance. You're talking about the fruit. You're talking about the produce of what God puts together in us. 
So understand this, when we are purged, it is a great opportunity for God. When we are pruned, it is a great opportunity for us to see God move in us. So when there's a purging that happens, when old branches are taken off, unfruitful things are taken out of our lives, unfruitful people leave, then God is going to bring that in with life. He's going to graft in that which is new. As he grafts in that which is new around us, new opportunities, new life is going to come. Then when that new life comes, he's going to cut back all the old dead stuff that's going on in our lives, and he's going to allow new life to come into us. Teresa. Teresa's in the back. Teresa just lost her daughter to marriage. But in actuality, Teresa gained a what? A son. So we can look at it like this. We can mope around and say, I lost my daughter. Or you can be like me. She is gone, and I have gained a son. And they will have their own home, and they will be fruitful and multiply where I don't have to pay for it. Amen, right? So we can look at this one of two ways. And I want you to think about that. Think about how people do that. I've lost my child to this other person. Or did you gain with that? Did you gain new opportunity to pour into someone else's life? Did you gain the opportunity to see the two of them come together and see their life be fruitful and multiply? This is what it's about. This Ask Fran about being fruitful and multiplying, right? Ain't that right, Fran? Fran took this to heart. All right? Her family believes in this. And her household is full, is it not? It is so full. So, guys, we have to understand and we have to see this. We have to take God's word for what it is. God wants to give us life. He wants to give us life abundantly. But there's a process that we work through in this. Old dead things are removed. Things that have worked in the past for us are pruned out so that we have to learn, learn and do new things. The last part about this is really the crux of everything that this passage is trying to say to us. So look at John 15, verses 4 and 5, and then in verse 8, all right? It says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and and so prove to be my disciples. Now, I want you to, I'm going to read this again. I'm going to change the word. Because the word abide to us, what does that mean? I'm going to change this word to give you the meaning of the word. Remain in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit enough of itself unless it remains in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who remains in me and I am him, 
he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove yourself to be disciples. Remain, 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 remain. That's what abide means. Abide doesn't mean put up with. Abide doesn't mean hang out with. Abide means to remain in or to remain under. That's probably the most literal interpretation of what that word means. Remain under. So if we remain in something, we're not just there in the presence, right? If we do that, that is just putting up with stuff. Are you putting up with God? Are you putting up with the church? Are you putting up with your preacher? Are you putting up with what his word says? All right, all right, I'll go do it because it says so. Or are you abiding? See, it's the abiding that is the key to our faithfulness to God. When difficulties and hard times come, people don't like to be pruned back. They don't like to go backwards. I'm a forward person. Forward is forward is forward. Backwards is for the birds. I hate to do the same thing over and over again. The life lessons that I have to do and learn over and over again, I have to do them over and over again because I hate them. And I don't listen. And I don't follow. I have a hard time. I'm impatient. I don't like to remain. I like to go. So guess what? I have to do a lot of stuff over and over again. If I would just be obedient and just be patient. But I'm impatient. And so a lot of times my mistakes get multiplied. Has that ever happened to you? Because we won't abide in God and we won't remain in Him. We think that we can go do it ourselves. And that's where we really multiply the mistake. See, if we remain in Him, if we abide in Him, then in His time, He will, we, he will produce a crop with our life. But that doesn't mean that that's going to happen right now. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen 10 years from now. We talked about it in Sunday school. Think of Moses in this. Moses lived as a prince for the first 40 years of his life. He lived in a desert for the next 40 years of his life. Then he goes and leads this group of people out, which was really his purpose. And he had to wander around with them complaining for what? 40 years. Fulfilling God's purpose is remaining through every aspect of that. Do you don't think that there were days when he was 60-something years of age in the desert going, what am I doing out here? How can this be part of God's plan? Abraham, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. There's a long time between chapter 12 and when that sees itself fulfilled in his life. It's almost 100, I mean, it's not 100 years, but it's like 50 plus years that he waited. And he waited. 
And after everybody else says, and humanly, it's not possible, it happens. But he remained. He abided. He did what God told him to do. Now, for someone like me, God has to take me day by day by day. Because I can tell you right now, if God would have told me when he called me to certain things or to be this or to go here or, or what I thought it was going to be like when I gave my life to Christ, he said, if I thought, well, 20 years from now, you're going to have this happen, I would have gone, 20 years? Let me tell you how arrogant I am. This pops up to me. I, I, I remember this because this is a God moment. I remember a man coming to Mars Hill Baptist Church, me in my 20s as a student pastor, and him leading a revival. And him standing up in the revival and saying, for the first 10 years that I was at this church, nothing really noteworthy happened. But in the 10th year that I was at this church, then this began to happen. A new student minister came and y'all don't know this, but a, a whole ministry, it was, it's called SWAT Ministries for students. If you've been over at the University of Georgia, if you've ever gone to a SWAT weekend, this, this church is where this was birthed out of. But me and my arrogance as a student pastor in my 20s was going, what were you doing for the first 10 years? Why weren't you fruitful the first 10 years? You should have been fruitful the first 10 years. What was going on? The whole time he's speaking about how God had moved and moved extravagantly in the life of his ministry and the ministry of that church, all I could think about was 10 years. And see, sometimes now I look back and I go, if somebody's looking at my ministry, what in the heck have you been doing for the last 10 years, Tim? Well, I've, I've been working hard. I've been praying hard. I've been trying to pursue what God wanted me to do. Then somebody else look at it and go, what, for 10 years, what have you been doing? We can't look at it that way. First of all, that's not our call. That's not our call at all. Who knows how long you have to remain? Who knows how long I have to remain? Our job in all of this to produce the crop that God wants for us in our lives and through our lives is to abide. And sometimes those are long days, long weeks, long months, long years. But if God told us up front how long we were going to have to wait, we'd probably cop out. And we wouldn't be willing to wait till the end to see what he's going to do. Because in the end, what kind of life is it? Abundant life. And we'll be able to look back on that and to see his moves. And to see his growth. And to see what he did and how he's done it. And then we will have experienced the blessing in our life 
and then see the fruitfulness of that life through the blessings in the other people's lives. And that's the amazing thing. That's the multiplication. That's when we'll look back and we go, hey, you know what? This particular experience, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was when I was going through it. Because God turned it out for good. And for His glory. And through all of that, I proved myself to be a what? Disciple of Christ. Disciple is a follower. I chose not to go my own way and multiply my mistakes. I chose to abide and remain and see God move in my life. I hope that that's the end for every single one of us. My prayer is that it is for all of us, including myself. Because if we do that, then we will see God move. If we're willing to allow ourselves to be molded and shaped, then God will make something awesome. But if we have in our mind what we think it should be, and it's not following our plan, then it's going to be brokenness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the fact that you tell us that, that through Christ, we have a connection to you, the vine. That life comes to us through that. There is no life apart from that. What you look for from us is to remain in that. And Father, this morning, I know that there's a lot of people going through a lot of different things. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's physical in their own life. Maybe it's through those who are around them. Maybe it's a spiritual battle with someone else or with our enemy. Or maybe it's just seeing suffering in, in the lives of our family and friends that we can't control. Lord, I don't know what it is. But this morning, you do. And I pray, Lord, for fruit to come out of all of those situations and circumstances. We look for a move of you. Not something that we can manipulate and make happen ourselves. We look for a God thing. And in doing so, you prove yourself who you are to us and to those who are around us. Glorify yourself. Father, help us to remain strong during that so that we might be found to be followers, disciples of you. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that you're going to do in our midst and in our lives. And it's that we ask these things, not in our own power, not in our own pleadings, but we ask these things through the shed blood and the life given through Christ Jesus. Amen.